Welcome to Never Stop Conquering, a podcast known for untangling the thing that's probably getting in your way. Tina's guests are business owners, executives, celebrities, and influencers who share their best stuff because they never stop conquering. Guests are not just good idea fairies. In every podcast, we're giving you steps to take so you, too, can achieve what nobody thinks is possible. Now, here's your host, Tina Schelke. Okay, today we are talking with Jim Martin from Green 3 Apparel in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Jim is a business owner who transformed his business when working with Amazon, and he actually sabotaged his current working business model in order to accomplish that transformation. So what a scary thing to do, but what a great story he has to tell. So Jim, tell us what Green 3 Apparel is, how it started, and now what it's become. Well, thank you for having me. So Green 3 was started in 2006. Uh, My wife, Sandy, actually started the company. Um, Both of us have uh, corporate apparel backgrounds, 20 plus years, and um, we moved up to Oshkosh in 2000. Um, And Sandy was kind of retired. And at that point, she got bored really quickly and she wanted to do something, and she started a company called Green 3 Apparel. And Green 3 was really founded on uh, sustainable fiber made in the USA, uh, women's apparel and accessories. Um, I was working corporately until about 2005, and our company was sold. And I joined her in 2006, and I am still helping her 13 years later as we've uh, evolved the company many different ways over that period of time. Yeah, so when you first got started with Green 3, what did you do to get your brand out there? How did you develop your brand? And who were your customers and your suppliers? Like, how did you interact with them? So the the supply chain um, is fairly limited. There aren't that many people doing domestic apparel production anymore. And we were focused on knit goods and sweater knit goods, and there weren't that many sweater knitters. So when you contacted yarn suppliers, they knew of people who were doing this kind of work, and they were able to tell you who was good and who was not, and we narrowed it down pretty quickly. Um, Made in the USA uh, portion of the business was really originated by the fact that Sandy had traveled all over the world doing sourcing and product development for other people. And she had been in pretty much every country you can think of and seen every type of condition you could imagine. Um, So her goal was to have a supply chain that she could get to quickly, that she knew the people by name, she could see the facility, she could watch her products being made. Um, And that's really what, what drove that. Um, when we launched the business, we, uh, we launched it as a wholesale company because that's really what we knew um, best. Uh, we didn't want to start building brick and mortar stores and really at that point in time e-commerce was in its infancy so wholesale was the, was the way to go. And how we approached it was we decided to go to the largest trade shows in the country and kind of present ourselves as being bigger than we actually were. So we just didn't want anybody to know that we were as small as we were. Um, So we had really good catalogs and we had a really good booth and we presented well. And at that time, that's when uh, trade shows were really the vehicle by which people found product. And so we were doing Atlanta Gift and we were doing New York Now and we were doing Magic in Las Vegas and all of the Toronto Gift Show, Chicago Gift Show. All of the uh, all of the big shows, and 
kind of casting our net and hoping people would notice us and thankfully some did. Um, our channel of distribution was really uh, specialty store retail so if there was a Tina's on Main Street somewhere that type of store was carrying our product and it was catalog retailers who were really um, kind of dominant at that point in time in specialty retail uh, they kind of latched onto us quickly and we uh, we launched with a catalog out of uh, Stillwater, Minnesota fairly quickly and then that kind of led to how we grew the business and that became our model. That is quite a difference from what you're doing today. It's completely different. So what was that big change? What was the catalyst? Um, you know, it was a number of things really. Um, Amazon started kind of coming on the picture probably five years ago where people started talking about Amazon for the first time. And, you know, we had really gone through an interesting period. You know, we launched in 06, then we got into the economic crisis in 09. Mm -hmm. Then there was like a recovery window where it was a couple of years trying to figure out who was going to survive and do what and whatever. And then about five years ago, Amazon really started to become a presence in apparel retail. Um, we started to kind of take a look at it because everybody was talking about it, but our customers were very um, open and adamant that if a supplier like us started selling our products on Amazon that they would stop buying from us. Um, so we were in this really difficult situation, and I understand it. I mean, it's like if I'm, if I'm selling to you and you're selling to Michelle, that's your livelihood. And now if I decide just to sell directly to Michelle and I cut you out, Oh. Like, you're not very happy about that. Not very happy, and how right. do I compete? Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, those folks, and, and it was really primarily the catalog retailers, and, and when we talk about catalogs, we're talking about um, people like Sundance Catalog and Uncommon Goods Catalog and the Smithsonian and people like that. Right. Um, who, the only way they're going to be able to compete is they have to offer some point of differentiation. So if, if you can find it in Target or Macy's, it's not going to be in the Smithsonian. Mm -hmm. But now if their suppliers start selling directly, there's no reason for the Smithsonian to carry it either. So we were in kind of this catch-22 where it was like if we began to pursue this new channel of distribution, e-commerce slash Amazon, we were going to um, destroy our current business, which was our wholesale model. And we needed to make a decision because it was changing fast. Um, and initially our decision was, I guess the kind of decision that many people would make, um, we stay loyal to our customers. We're like, we're not going to blow up our business to do this other thing. So we'll turn our back on Amazon and we'll continue to sell our current customers. And, and that's what we did for a very short period of time. <laughs> yeah. And then I remember the part of the story where you were at a trade show and you got a phone call. It's true. And, and <laughs> It sounds like a, a stupid movie, but you know our our largest customer, which was that first customer out of Stillwater, Minnesota, um, had made it very clear. They were like, "Look, if you start selling on Amazon, we're not going to carry you anymore." So we were being very loyal to that customer, and it was in the I think it was the fourth quarter of of 2016. Um, we got a phone call from that customer telling us that they were closing their doors and they were going out of business. And we were exposed to them in a very large way. We had a lot of receivables we were waiting for, yeah. like a sizable number. And we had produced a tremendous amount of products specifically for them 
that now they weren't going to take. Mm-hmm. And as a business, we really, that was a, a watershed moment because we were in trouble, to be honest. Yeah, um, it's amazing how real it gets. Like you can be super loyal to a company yep. as an individual, but that company can't be so loyal back to you. No, I mean, you know, they weren't doing anything punitive to no. us. They're, they didn't want their business to fail. Right. Um, exactly. They were being caught kind of in that transition that a lot of retailers are getting caught in where the business was being done a different way and they were being left behind. And so they were they were closing because they had to and we just unfortunately were kind of caught in the wake. Um, what happened kind of concurrently was um, I was at the Atlanta gift show and we had applied to um, sell apparel on Amazon. We thought if we could at least get approved, if we decided to go that route, well then we would be ready to go. And at that point in time, apparel was what they call a gated category. You couldn't just sign up and sell. You had to get approved. So I was at the Atlanta gift show, and I got a phone call on my cell phone, and it was Amazon, someone calling me from Amazon. And they said, you know, we see that you've applied, and we're ready to approve you. Are you ready to go? And I said, well, I'm at a trade show, and I said, I won't be back until next Tuesday. I said, can I call you when I get back to my office? And she said, no. She said, you got to decide, like, do you want to do this or do you not want to do this? Because if you don't, basically that's fine and we'll just go to the next one on the list and we'll figure it out from there. And it was like, all right, we're in. So we made the decision um, to begin to pursue that as a channel of distribution. Um, And coming off of the closing of our largest customer, it was kind of that epiphany. It was a little bit of a watershed moment where it was like, wow, we've been really loyal to sinking ships and we've been kind of turning our back on a rocket ship. Like we've got to like retool and reprioritize how we're going to do business. What did that look like for you? What were like, you're just stepping into outer space, right? A new stratosphere (laughs) holding onto that rocket ship. And you didn't know where it was going to take you exactly. Well, it's it's awful. I mean, to be <laughs> honest, you know, um, we knew our business model, and that's kind of where we came from. So that was something I was comfortable with. I never had any doubt when we started the company if we decided to be a wholesale company selling a certain channel of distribution that we could be successful. The idea of transitioning to a direct-to-consumer e-commerce retailer was not in our backgrounds. It was not our wheelhouse. and. So it was like, wow, we're gonna walk away from this thing we know and walk toward this thing we have no clue about. But candidly, you know, as as 2017 continued to play, more and more of our customers were going away. Mm-hmm. And the trade shows were getting smaller and smaller. You know, every year, you know, we would go to these shows where like the, the New York gift show was a perfect example. For years and years and years, you couldn't get in. You had to apply and you had to wait. And then when you finally get approved, they put you out in what they called the piers, where people would have to take buses from one place out to the piers to see the new folks who were trying to get into the show. And almost overnight, it went from that to, uh, we have room and we'll take anybody who wants to come and show. You know, we were, we were on the approval list, waiting to get in, hoping to get into the piers, and we got a phone call saying, we got space in the main building. Like, you, wow. want, to, you want to be in the Javits Center? How much room do you want? And, you know, as we would go to the Atlanta gift show or other gift shows, um, you know, over the years, you could see they began creating false walls and making the trade show floors smaller and smaller because there were less and less exhibitors. And they didn't want it to look empty. 
Right. And so all of that was happening at the same time that more and more of our customers were going away. And it wasn't like we were so brilliant that we made this transition. We had no choice. I mean, either we were, we were going to keep doing what we were doing and we were going to fail right with our customers or we were going to take a chance and maybe we'd fail, but we were going to fail anyhow. Yeah. So um, we made the decision in 2017 to begin selling on Amazon. And uh, really in 2018 is the first time we became kind of serious about it. And then we began to really focus more of our energies there. Um, as we got to 2019, that's really when we made the decision we were going to be a direct e-commerce retailer. We were going to focus on Amazon. And if our wholesale business went away, so be it. And that's when the transition really happened. Were you really ready for that? Like you could see in the numbers that you were growing in e-tail? Um, no. I mean, oh. candidly, no. You know, the the goal was to um, ramp up that e-commerce business faster than our wholesale business was declining. But that's not what happened. You know, I mean, once, once you're old business starts going away, it, it goes fast. Really fast. And you, no matter how hard you try and how smart you think you are or whatever, it's difficult to like ramp up as quickly as the decline is happening. So, um, no, nah, I mean, we're, we're 13 years into it as a business and we're a startup again. <laughs> you are. It's crazy. But your startup sto story, like where you're going and what you've learned um, is inspiring. And beyond inspiring, it is showing such great promise. Like you guys are are out there getting it done. I think we got a chance. Um, we've we've been fortunate. Um, you know, because of our backgrounds, we had a good working knowledge of retail. Even though we weren't mm -hmm. e-commerce mavens per se, there are general principles that apply. And we we had some nice growth. We. We did some business relatively quick once we started trying, and it was enough to make us think if we could really figure this out, this could be a business model for us. Mm -hmm. And then in um, quarter one of 2019, we, we got a phone call from Amazon, and uh, they invited us to participate in a program that they call Launchpad. And they, um, they see you know sellers that are in the marketplace who maybe are doing it right, who are getting some traction, and they actually cultivate those sellers, they bring them into kind of a, a online university type setting and they begin to teach you how to win on, on Amazon. And mm -hmm. you have access to uh, you know staff in Seattle who every week, and it's set up every week, there are, are classes, there are webinars, there are office hours where questions can be asked and you begin to learn how to play properly and mm -hmm. do they charge you for that no um i shouldn't i shouldn't say no they do take a small percentage of commission okay. on your sales but there's no like monthly type fee mm -hmm. that kind of thing um and kind of the the analogy that i always use on that was the one you heard me use the first time we talked where it, it's like if i'm coaching little league baseball mm -hmm. and i'm telling my kids this is the way you play the game this is how we do it and the kids who do those things, they get to play. And the kids who don't do those things, they sit and they watch. And Amazon's doing the same thing. They're in, a, they're in an interesting position. Um, they have many challenges despite their tremendous growth and the amount of business that they're doing. And they're trying to like really create an emotional connection with their consumer as opposed to just being a vehicle yeah. through which things are sold. And the way to do that 
there's a number of different ways to do it. Um, but in the Launchpad program, they teach you those things. And if you play the way they're teaching you, well, then you get more playing time and they push your listings up. So as people are looking for a particular thing, you might be more likely to be found than someone who's not playing the way they want them to those listings begin to get depressed and they're harder and harder to find. Sure. So we got into the program in 2019 and that helped us as we figured out and were taught how to play the game properly. Yeah, one of the most interesting things that you shared with me is that um, I invite and encourage, so it doesn't mean don't do this, but I invite and encourage all of our listeners to go check out Green 3 Apparel. Where can they find you online? Well, green3apparel.com is our is our website. Yeah. And of course, uh, if you search Green 3 Apparel on Amazon, you're, you're gonna find our products as well. Right. Um, if you happen to live in Oshkosh, we've got a store here as well. Yeah, so um, do check it out. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. So thank you for your support. Now, back to the show. There's something different about e-commerce on, in general, and e-commerce on Amazon. People aren't... Um, intrinsically or naturally searching for green three apparel like your brand is a little bit hidden in the search that, that's true yeah I, so what do they search for what do you do what's your strategy to <laughs> rise above the the brand so it is a challenge yeah um, on amazon um, about 80 percent of the searches that are done on amazon do not include a brand name it's just a generic search and the the primary example that you see in most articles or whatever one of the most searched terms on amazon is double a battery so people are looking to buy double a batteries and that's how they search for it mm-hmm. they don't they don't search duracell double a battery they just search double a battery and then they look to see what comes up and decide what they might want to buy well, the most sold AA battery on Amazon is the Amazon Basics AA battery. So, Big is, surprise, yeah, huh? And this, is, <laughs> this is another topic maybe we'll get into or not, yeah. but you are competing against the house. Sure. And the house is making sure that their products are seen first. So people are not searching by brand. So the odds of someone searching for Green 3 Apparel are relatively small, unless somehow they're a fan of ours or whatever it might be. So we try to build our products that have organic search terms in them. And if you look at at what we do, um, it's always been what we've done, but there's a little bit of a sense of whimsy, a little bit of kind of retro kitsch kind of built into our products. And we, we tend to be very graphic. So we have cardinals and we have blue jays and we have narwhals and we have llamas and we have all kinds of things that we work into our patterns. And the reason for that is that is how people are searching. So when someone's out there who wants to buy a gift for their friend and their friend happens to be crazy about owls, they might just search owl scarf. Okay, no brand or whatever it might be. Well, we sell owl scarves. So now it's a matter of how do we advertise our L scarf to be found? Or how do we properly optimize our listings? How do we play the game properly on Amazon so that L scarf becomes more searchable organically and is pushed up to the front? Um, what Amazon wants is they don't want 
a disappointing consumer experience. They don't want you to buy something that's a piece of junk. They don't want you to buy something that's counterfeit. They don't want you to buy it and never get it or buy it and think it's a ripoff or whatever it might be. So over time, as sellers who are playing as instructed and who begin to prove that they can ship on time, they have quality products, the return rates are low, the consumers write glowing reviews, those are the people whose listings get pushed up and you find them organically. But it has to start with something searchable. And that's why we, we design and develop our product to have kind of uh, organic searchable terms built in. Right, so the work you do at work now has changed significantly. Very much so. From, from what you did as a wholesaler to what you do as an e-tailer, um, and, and especially an e-tailer in partnership with Am- Amazon, the key skills that you need to develop, what would you say the top two or three are? Well, it, I can tell you what the, the skills, how they transitioned. I mean, uh-huh. and a, just even right now as we sit here today, we would have um, finished up the Atlanta gift show a week ago and we would be getting ready to go to Coterie in New York, and we would do that trade show, and then from there we'd be going right to Las Vegas to do win. And we're not doing any of those shows. Mm. So now that idea of casting a net and hoping to attract customers, now we're doing it digitally, creating products, putting them in the marketplace, optimizing our listings, adding really valuable content to all of our listings, making sure that our pictures and our videos are all exactly how they should be, providing as much information as you possibly can in terms of sizing and spec and quality of fabric and washability and all the kind of questions that a consumer might have. Now that's how we cast our net, is to create these these digital representations of our product so that the consumer feels comfortable buying them. And that's really what we focus on now. So, you know, photography, videography, copywriting, photo editing, color correction, all of these things that were never really part of what we did now are kind of integral to what we do. Yeah, that was part of what um, your customers did. I can imagine Stillwater took care of a lot of that in their magazine for you. Uh, they, they did, and, and this is always the um, challenge with a wholesale model. We may develop, as a company, we may develop product for a consumer that we envision, and we would present it a certain way. When you sell it as a wholesaler, now someone else takes over and alters that and maybe presents it in a completely different way or targets a different consumer or whatever it might be. Now, with what we're doing, we completely control that. Mm-hmm. So as we develop product, we present it in the way that we best see fit on models that we think are most representative and so forth. Right. So I can think, and you've even mentioned, like the progression of this is, okay, we've changed our business model. We're not a wholesale wholesale company. We are an e-tail company, primarily partnering with Amazon. Now you're kind of back in the same game where you're in a little bit of trouble, right? Where you have one major kind of customer. What's next? How do you diversify that? Well, there, there's two ways we're approaching it. One thing that is very interesting is as a, as a tenured wholesaler, when you begin dropping out of trade shows, your buddies that are around you for the last five or six years notice you're gone and they start calling and they're like, what are you doing? Like, why aren't you here? What's going on? And as we started to tell some of our peers what we were doing with our business, 
they were like, man, like we would love to do that too. And I was like, well, you can do it. Like this is how you approach it and whatever. And we started to realize that there were companies out there who knew they needed to do it, but they didn't have the bandwidth for it or they didn't have the time or whatever, they were scared, whatever it might be. And it was just kind of off the cuff to one of them. I said, well, we could do it for you. And they were like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, we could just do all of this. And I said, then actually you would have kind of this veil of anonymity that you could hide behind where it would show your product was being sold by Green 3 on Amazon, not by you. So when your still waters get unhappy yeah. and say you're selling on Amazon, they could say, no, we're not. We're not selling on Amazon. And they could say, but your products are right there. Well, Green 3 selling our stuff on Amazon, and you could have too. Yeah. But they just you beat could've... you to the party. Uh-huh. And when we offered that up, the first company was like, hell yeah, like we're in, like we'll do this. And so Sandy and I were kind of like, well, we know a whole bunch of people. And we just started kind of calling some people that we admired and that we liked who had similar businesses to ours. And we said, here's what we're thinking. This is what we could do. We could work out a financial model where it makes sense for everyone. And we quickly migrated from not just transitioning to a direct-to-consumer retail model, but becoming a service provider for other companies who wanted to do the same thing. So that has been something that we have in play right now. And if you if you were on Amazon and if you went to my Amazon storefront, you would see nine other brands that we represent under the Green Three umbrella. All of them all of them uh, share similar core tenets of sustainability, family owned. Many of them are in, are in Wisconsin. Um, all really good small businesses, yeah. which further enhances our place, our position within Amazon, which is great. But to your point, it's a risky thing to have all your eggs in one basket. Right. And focusing only on Amazon can be dangerous. And I think as you and I have talked about before, when you look at the numbers, and numbers are fairly staggering, um, there are over 3 million sellers now in the Amazon marketplace. Mm. And if you're familiar with Amazon, there are two ways to do business. You're either a seller, like we are, you sell your own products, or you're a vendor, and you sell your products to Amazon, and Amazon sells your products. Mm -hmm. Well, there's three million sellers, not counting all of the vendors who also sell to Amazon, and then Amazon competes. Right. But when you figure there's three million sellers in the marketplace trying to do exactly what we're doing, 250,000 new sellers came into the marketplace last year. So, I mean, the growth and the level of competition is amazing. The really staggering number is only about 10% of those 3 million sellers are doing more than $200,000 in sales. Only 1% of those sellers are doing more than a million dollars in sales. Lots and lots of people doing a little bit of business, a handful of people doing a bunch of business. Mm-hmm. The other number that, and it's something that you know you need to be aware of when you They've kind of get into They've got a big bench this. then when you think of that team, right? They've absolutely, absolutely. Um, the, uh-huh. other, the other part of Amazon that's changing very quickly, 42% of the sellers right now are in China. And it's a big number. Yeah. And how that's changing everything is historically the model might have been, I have an idea, I'm going to produce some product, I go to a factory in China, they make my product, I bring it in, I sell it on Amazon. Now Amazon is directly courting and recruiting the manufacturer in China Uh and saying, why sell the gem? Why don't you just sell on Amazon? And of course the response is, well, we're a factory, we don't really understand it, we don't know what to do, and what Amazon says is, we'll help you, Mm -hmm. we'll teach you. 
And by doing so, they're creating much better value equations for their end consumer. You know, if you're a, if you're a seller on Amazon, like we think about our customers on Amazon, we don't have any customers. Amazon has customers. <laughs> we uh, just sell to them. Yeah. Right. So that's really the big the big challenge. And yeah. and of course, and you're competing with Amazon the entire time because they're selling products as well. They launched over 100 of their own private brands last year. So um, not only are you competing against all of those other three million, many of them who are manufacturers out of China, but you're competing with Amazon as well. Right. So to your point, what do you got to do for, as far as we're concerned, we need to better diversify kind of our e-commerce portfolio. Sure. And now we're just looking at other options in terms of how we can build out interesting sites, probably on the Shopify platform, and we'll probably um, be a little more niche-oriented as opposed to brand-oriented like we are right now. So identifying opportunities, taking advantage of them, being yeah. a little bit more nimble. I don't think that you can not be on Amazon. Um, you know, the number that keeps getting thrown around, or you know, Amazon sells 4,000 things a minute. So they have so many eyeballs that to yeah. say, I'm not going to go there seems foolish. But it also might be foolish to say that's the only place we're going to go. Right. So we, we need now to kind of leverage what we've learned about e-commerce on Amazon to kind of diversify into other platforms as well. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Jim. It is just an honor and interesting and inspiring to hear your entrepreneurial mind at work. I mean, the way you've you noticed, wow, my customer base is declining quickly. Like the way we've done business, it might not be available to us very long. We're going down, right? Like we're seeing this decline. There's no doubt. And responding to that call, um, I can imagine all the emotions that came at that moment, right? Like I've got a minute and a half to decide <laughs> if I'm doing it or not. And so I. I'm saying yes. You and jump. Yeah, yeah. And, and I love it because so many people will go to the idea of how first, right? Like, do you want to sell on Amazon? And they'll, and they'll say, well, maybe. How do I do that? And what we find as entrepreneurs, the answer is yes. And the how answer is also yes, right? You'll figure it out. <laughs> and you're figuring it out, and it's such a joy to... Um, know and hear your story and that you're generous in sharing it what do you really 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 want to do next with your business or your time and what you've learned that's a really great question you know when you're in it yeah like the only totally thing you're doing is now. you're doing yes. what needs to get done today um you know i think any small business um the end game is to build it to a certain level and then sell it at some point in time mm -hmm. um you know have an exit strategy in place know how long you want to do this uh, and then execute that plan. You know, the, the idea of, of growing your business and, and making it something important is also making it saleable at some point in time when you do decide that you want to move on to the next thing. Um, I think that what we're, what we're doing right now and the knowledge that we're gaining has some value to it. Mm -hmm. um, so I would like to continue to evolve into being a, a, an e-commerce retailer. Um, probably with an eye on information and what type of information we can learn and collect from the business that we're doing. Um, and I think that there'll probably be value to that information. So that's our, that's our goal as we move forward and probably at some point in time an exit strategy where we uh, move on, sell the business and do something else. 
Well, excellent. I hope that this podcast inspires our listeners to consider e-tail. And no matter what their kind of, of product might be, I look at ours, you know, as business consultants, how do we get it to be more available? You know, Alexa skills is a thing. That's another Amazon. Um, we're, we're right in the middle of it too. So thank you so much for your time and, and your story. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. I appreciate thank it. You. Thanks. Okay. Thanks for joining us this week on Never Stop Conquering Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, neverstopconquering.com, where you can subscribe and never miss a show. And while you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on Captivate or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Even better, tell your friends to listen in. If you're really serious about this and want to never stop conquering, Tina and her team are available for private coaching, corporate consulting, and keynotes. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode. Thanks and enjoy today.